following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. This morning's scripture reading is Genesis chapter 2, 15 through 17, then chapter 3, 1 through 7. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. If you could please uh, stand, if you're able, for the reading of the gospel. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God... Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. You may be seated. Well, it's really good to be back with you. We had the all church retreat a couple Sundays ago, and some of you saw me on the screen when we did our little uh, Skype sermon, if you will, uh, but I didn't see any of you. And then last week I was on vacation, and um, something about being in 80-degree uh, sun that just makes the time seem different. So it feels like I haven't seen you in ages. I'm so glad to be back with you. Would you like to hear the obligatory pastor post-vacation story? <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that? Oh, no. <laughs> No, no slides. 
<laughs> Some of you don't know what that sound is, but um, <laughs> no slides for this one. Um, so we, we did go to Disney World. We did the, the family thing that you have to do at least once in your life, and we went to Disney World. And uh, on the last day of the trip, uh, I was in line for a roller coaster. And since none of my family wanted to go on the roller coaster, I went in the single rider line. Are you familiar with the single rider line? Uh, The single rider line is uh, for people who don't have anybody who want to ride with them. And roller coasters usually have two seats across, right? So um, it's great at the beginning because you get to walk by a few hundred people who are waiting in the sucker line, right? Um, But then you get to the end of the line near near the ride and you can see the people with the joy and elation on their face as they get on the ride. And you just stand there and wait and wait and wait. Because the thing about the single rider line is that they only take you out of that line when there's an odd number in the party coming from the regular line. Right? So all these two-by-twos are going up and all these four-by-fours are going up. I think I saw a six and an eight and a 12. And I'm like, where's the odd number? They need one, three, or five. And then they'll put, there'll be an extra seat and they'll take somebody out of the single rider line. And I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. It's hot I mean, it's really, really terrible that I had to be hot in, in February, right? Um, and uh, it's just, it's heartbreakingly slow at the end of this line. So I'm standing there sweating and frustrated watching person after person after person go ahead of me, and suddenly it occurs to me that I could just step over the chain because they're right next to each other. I'm a, you know, I'm a suave Smooth person, I could do this, nobody would... <laughs> right, a 6'4", 225 person can do this, nobody would notice. It's the lies that we hear in our head, right? <laughs> now, I'm not saying that if you've ever cut in line uh, at an amusement park that you're like the worst sinner, that you're headed for hell, or that you're a terrible person or anything like that. But I am a rule follower to the end. I mean, um, I, I have all kinds of failings, right? There's all sorts of things that if you knew them about me, you would think less of me, right? Um, but following rules, breaking the rules is not, that's not in my MO. That's not in my playbook. I do not do it. So it's really bizarre to me that, that I was having this kind of weird temptation to do something that, that I would never do. I'm justifying it to myself in all the usual ways, like, it's not really like it's going to hurt anybody, and, and nobody would even know, and nobody here knows I'm a pastor anyway, so um, my family wouldn't even see it. They're like having Mickey bars down on the, the veranda there. Um, and then it was like I was shaken out of the dream, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not the kind of person who does it. Again, if you are, it's okay. We all have our shortcomings, but that's not how I fail usually, right? And the second I had that realization that I'm not going to jump the line here, the attendant at the front of the line said, okay, we need to balance out these lines. All the single rider people, you can all go on. No, that's not what happened. I had to, <laughs> I had to stand there for 10 more agonizing minutes going, oh, are they ever going to, why? Why are there only twos and fours? And um, so the ride was awesome, but uh, it, it took forever to get there. So, now this is an intentionally uh, a kind of a silly example of temptation, right? This is probably not quite the time or the place to tell you about my deepest, darkest temptations. Um, But although we might not like to talk about them, or we might not like to admit that it happens to us, the truth is that we do all face temptations every day. And some days, the temptations are 
um, minor, like jumping a line on a roller coaster or having a, having a cookie that we really shouldn't have. And some days they're a little bit darker and a little bit deeper than that. The temptation to cheat the systems of fairness, the temptation to maybe massage our tax returns just a little bit, the, the temptation to tell a, a small lie, to get out of a difficult conversation, the, the temptation to cut somebody down with a personal attack in an argument, the temptation to advance our careers or our academic standing through uh, measures that maybe are not entirely honest. All of these temptations, and that's before I even get to mention sex or food, the two big ones that usually get all the attention when we start talking about temptation. So what have you been tempted by this week? I asked you to think about that at the beginning of our service. What were you tempted to do this past week that you knew was wrong? I actually want you to answer that question, not out loud, but for yourself. I want you to think about that. We have today, from our Bible readings, which come from the Revised Common Lectionary, we're going to be using the lectionary texts throughout the season of Lent. So if you'd like to prepare for Sundays, um, you can read them. You can just Google the word lectionary. The first result will be from Vanderbilt Seminary, and they list them out for you. It's very easy to find the texts each week. But in today's readings, which we've heard so far, uh, we have two stories of temptation. The temptation of uh, Eve and Adam in Genesis 2 and 3 and the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4. Now, our own temptations may match one or both of those stories in some ways, so I thought it might be worth taking a look at those two things, uh, how they're similar, how they're different, and ponder what we might have to learn from these accounts in the Bible of people being tempted. It's interesting to me, one of these temptations took place in the Garden of Eden, is essentially heaven on earth. It's paradise, where God is so close that they would actually, it says they walked together with God in the cool of the evening. And one of the temptations, the other one, took place out in the wilderness, out in the desert after 40 days of fasting, kind of a representation of hell on earth, where God had seemingly been entirely absent for over a month. So then, this is instructive for us that we might experience temptations at times when we feel very close to God. Closeness with God is not a safeguard against temptation. Or we might experience temptations when we feel that God has been absent for 40 days or 40 weeks or however long it might feel for you. We can experience temptation in our joy as easily as in our despair, in our abundance where everything has been provided for us as easily as in a time of starvation. So it occurs to me we shouldn't be complacent when things are going well. The devil, the tempter, might be lurking just outside the door. And conversely, we should not become inattentive when our circumstances have left us weak because there's no guarantee that the attack isn't coming in spite of the fact that we're really not ready. By the way, 
sometimes in our weakness, we are more ready for temptation than in our strength. If the results of these two temptations is any indication, we might be better off after 40 days of fasting than after an entire lifetime spent in abundance. Both of these temptations are initiated by this outside force of evil, the, the Satan, the devil, the accuser. That's the, what the word literally means, the accuser, the false accuser. And notice how the accuser works in both of these circumstances. The accuser is persistent, but ultimately not relentless. Remember, in the, the, the first temptation in the garden... It starts with a question, and there's an answer, and there's a well, but, and there's a little answer, and then there's a well, but, and then the whole thing falls apart. And then in the desert, there's a temptation, and there's a response, and then there's a shift, and there's another temptation, and there's another response, and then there's a shift, and there's another temptation, and then there's a third response, and then the devil gives up. How many times have you been tempted to do something that you know you shouldn't do and you're strong the first time and you manage to fend it off the second time? The third time, you give up. We can use our uh, cookie analogy here. And you can feel free to apply it to whatever deeper, darker temptation you might face. (laughs) But I tell you what, man, I walked past past that bucket of cookies once this morning, and I was okay. (laughs) And I walked past it a second time, and I thought one probably wouldn't hurt. (laughs) I've had a lot of cookies today. I almost had a donut, too. Thank you, by the way, whoever brought the donuts. Jeez. But the devil, the Satan, the accuser, is persistent but not relentless. You can drive the devil away, eventually. And the devil is a liar. Did you hear the lies in that first story? Not quite lies, kind of like these half-truths. These, mm. God told them, what? You can eat from any tree in the garden except the one in the middle. Don't eat from that one tree. Did you notice, by the way, how it starts with one rule? You had one job, right? And they break that one and like, okay, here's 10. And they can't do that, so now here's 613. But the one rule is don't eat from this tree. And what does the devil ask Eve when he comes to her? Did God really tell you that you can't eat from any of these trees? Well, that's not what God said. God said we can't eat from this one tree or touch it. Wait a second. Did God say you can't touch the tree? God did not say you can't touch the tree. That's what Eve added on, right? So the accusation is this over-the-top thing. The temptation is this ridiculous exaggeration of, of the actual rule. And Eve can't scale it all the way back. It's like, so there's some, some weird embarrassment about the fact that this is all, there's only just the one thing. Really, we just really can't eat the one from the one tree. Also, we, I guess we probably shouldn't touch it either. Isn't that weird how our human nature works? By the way, this story in the garden 
We don't need a, a little human Adam and Eve for this to be incredibly, profoundly, deeply moving and uh, meaningful to us. Right? I promised myself I wasn't going to talk about that. <laughs> The devil even uses Holy Scripture sometimes in his temptation. That's what he did with Jesus. The first temptation was out of the blue, and then Jesus responded with Scripture. And what does the devil do? Oh, you like Scripture? I've got one for you. Hmm. Can you be tempted to sin by the very words of Scripture? This is how deceptive and insidious this, this, the Satan is. This is what these false accusations turn into sometimes. So then you look at the end results of these two temptations, the temptation of Adam and Eve and the temptation of Jesus. One ended in failure and disappointment and a curse. And one ended in success um, and victory, but I hesitate to use the word triumph because we know what comes next for Jesus. It's not a life of ease. (laughs) The, The temptation of Adam and Eve. The Adam, the the proto human. The name literally just means human, right? Which is, by the way, it's a clue (laughs) about what this is. They they named the guy human, right? Person. One temptation of the Savior, God's anointed king, these people who seemingly could not be more different but are actually so similar. Uh, The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, which is the the reading from the lectionary that we won't quite get to today, makes a comparison between these two. And he compares the story of of Adam, of of person, um, where sin crept in on the whole human race. And he compares that with Jesus, the ultimate human. Jesus who conquers Satan's sin and death for the whole human race. And it's interesting, Paul uses Adam as a kind of a foil against Jesus, even though Eve was the one who had like the, the primary interaction with the serpent, right? And then Adam was there the whole time just kind of going, you know, like husbands sometimes do, and he gets in on it. But Paul kind of appropriates Adam as the one through whom sin entered the world. Interesting. Sometimes we fail like Adam, like Eve. Sometimes the temptation just comes in waves and we try to fend it off and eventually we fall short. And the shame just washes over us. How could I have done such a thing? We ask ourselves, what's wrong with me? If my friends knew what I had done, if my spouse knew what I had done, if my pastor knew what I had done, surely they would reject me. I don't, I don't belong here. Why won't the temptation stop? I must be such a uniquely weak person. Other times we stand, we stand strong. We, we, we fend it off. It, we have 
that victory, but it doesn't feel like a triumph for us. Because you know what? The shame washes over us even though we were successful in resisting the temptation. We think to ourselves, how could I even have considered such a thing? If my friends knew, if my family knew, if my spouse knew, if my pastor knew what I have to deal with, surely they would reject me. I don't belong here. Do you see how insidious the attack of the devil can be so that even when we are successful in fending it off, it still affects us. You know, it is the first Sunday in Lent. And Lent is a season when Christians traditionally do spend some intentional time in self-examination, in confession, in repentance. Uh, That conscious changing of our minds, that's what repent means, means to change your mind. Changing of our minds or our attitudes or our actions. And I, I want us to do this during Lent. I want us to spend time reflecting Uh, examining ourselves in confessing and in repenting. I want us to be convicted by the Holy Spirit and to respond with true sorrow and remorse and repentance. And I want to see that uh, the restoration and the reconciliation that can happen when we do. Here's what I don't want us to do during Lent or at any other time. What I don't want us to do is to wallow in shame or to be crushed crushed by accusation. Remember, conviction that we have sinned, that still small voice, that's the Holy Spirit. But accusation and shame is always the work of the devil. Accusation and shame are literally, by definition, satanic. You thought it was just the Led Zeppelin CDs. Some of you don't know what that is. (laughs) Led Zeppelin was a band in the 70s. (laughs) And then in the 90s, we had CDs. And some of our youth pastors told us we had to get rid of them because they were satanic. Listen, accusation and shame are the work of the devil. This is what I'm trying to tell you. Conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit. And do you see how thin the line can be between those things? The good news is that there is a way for us to move from the grief and pain and embarrassment and shame that comes from our sin and even from the temptation itself sometimes. To move from that into joy to the point of dancing and elation. Just as surely as you can move from one room in the house to another by going through a doorway, you can move from grief and shame into joyous dancing. As you know, sometimes doors are locked, and so what you need is a key. If you want to get from one room to the other, you need the key to unlock the door. And I want to suggest to you that the key to unlocking this particular door so that you can pass through from shame to joy, that key is confession. I want to read to you the, Psalm 32. This is the, the psalm that's prescribed by the lectionary today. And I want you to notice how the psalmist's perspective changes in this psalm and what's different in the end from what was true in the beginning. All right. Hear these words. 
Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Notice how prior to confession, the psalmist's experience of God is of a heavy hand. Verse 3, while I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Verse 5, then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not hide my iniquity. Verse 7, suddenly the experience of God is that God is a hiding place, a shelter from trouble. And the summary statement is in verse 11. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy. See, the movement from groaning to shouting for joy is a movement of confession. And the beautiful thing is that Contained in this movement is what the Apostle Paul calls a free gift of grace. We didn't read Romans 5, but if we had, in those seven verses, he uses the phrase free gift five times. You think we could get the point. So if you are feeling the hand of God heavy on you today, I would suggest to you that that is the conviction of the Holy Spirit that I talked about a few minutes ago, that that might be the the still small voice, which is not so still or small anymore. And God's kind of saying, wake up! Now, I'm not interested in taking on a guilt trip. This is not about building on shame. There's enough shame in religion. We don't need to add to it. But if you are grieving and groaning under the weight of your own misdeeds, I'm telling you that the way out of that pain is confession. Confession is the way to freedom. And there are some of you in the room, no doubt, who have never taken that step. You've assumed or absorbed Christianity as religion from your family or from your friends or from hanging out with us for the past few weeks or months or years. And it might be time for you to take up this mantle, which is just a a phrase that means put on a garment, right? It might be time for you to own this for yourself. The pathway to redemption begins with the confession of your own sin. 
And if this is your day, if this is your new beginning, I welcome you joyfully into the, the family of God. And I, I would really like to hear from you this week. As I said earlier, my email address is on the back of the bulletins. It's also easy to figure out. It's my name at artisanchurch.com. My name is Scott. <laughs> In a minute, we're going to pray uh, the corporate prayer of confession that's so familiar to us at Artisan um, the, from the Book of Common Prayer. But I want to encourage you, especially if you're a more experienced Christian who has prayed that particular prayer a lot of times, that it might be time for you to consider a more direct, specific, personal form of confession. Sometimes you need to hear your own voice say the words of your actual sins in a room where someone else is listening. And sometimes you need to, to, to hear the, that person speak God's forgiveness to you. And so my challenge to you, if you're a more experienced Christian, who is then again sort of feeling that heavy hand of God, that it might be time for you to move beyond this prayer of corporate confession. It might be time for you to move into a personal confession. So find a friend or a family member or me. Come see me this week. I would love to talk to you and receive your confession and have the privilege of speaking God's forgiveness back to you. Because sometimes that's what you need. So I want you to reach out to me too. But now, uh, will you join me in praying the uh, prayer of the confession of sin from the Book of Common Prayer? And we will put that on the screen for you now. Let's pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And amen. I want to invite you now to come to the table of the Lord, where the free gift of grace is offered to you in the form of the bread and the wine, in which the body and blood of the Savior Jesus is actually present for you. Uh, you can come and take a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice, choose whichever is better for you and for your family. And receive into your own body God's gift of grace, present in the sacrifice of His Son, the Savior. May it be real for you, the presence of Jesus, His body and blood. May it be for you food for your hungry souls. And may it be an act of remembrance and unity as you do this and take this great sacrament in the presence of your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you'd like to receive personal prayer, you'll be a member of the prayer team at the back of the room. And it's always okay simply to sit and observe if that's better for you right now. But this table is wide and it's open. And it is laid by Jesus himself.
I offer it to you now. Our table's open. Come and receive his grace. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.